is Nathan Marchand coming to you OOC out of character for another bonus episode, shall we say? I know I've been giving you a lot of those lately. I, they're just to tide you over because I'm sitting on a bunch of regular episodes that just need to be edited and some story segments finished. I'm sorry I've fallen behind, but... I take my audience, I take you, Kaiju lovers, very seriously, so I'm making sure that I'm giving you some bonus material like what you are getting today. Today, I will be talking about going to Ramen Con, which, no, is not about Japanese food or cooking, necessarily. It is an anime convention up in South Bend, Indiana, which is about two hours north of me in Fort Wayne, Indiana. This is a convention that my friend Bex from Redeemed Otaku has gone to several times, several years, and she has posted some audio from when she did panel presentations there. So I, it's something that I've been interested in going to for a while. Unfortunately, Bex was unable to make it due to some family issues. And then, lo and behold, I find out that this year the convention even though it's an anime convention, is kaiju-themed. So then I thought, well, I just have to go now, don't I? Well, normally, when I go to a convention for the first time, since I don't know what it's going to be like, I don't necessarily want to pay full price for it, so I decided I would just make a day trip up there. I managed... That is my friend, Eric. <laughs> forgot to turn the phone off so you're gonna get that anyway because i'm doing minimal editing to this anyway i was able to get a panel set up which i am going to share after i tell you the story of what happened for the entire day you'll hear a music cue to lead into that it was a panel called kaiju 101 because looking at the schedule of events, it didn't look like there was all that much kaiju-related going on. So that's why I submitted it. And I figured, hey, I like anime, but I podcast about kaiju. So I figured I should probably do something kaiju-related. So I gave a presentation, basically a crash course in the basics of kaiju, which you will hear. Funny thing is, I didn't use any of the regular mics because they just weren't quite working, which is something I'll get into in a little bit. And my dynamic microphone is so good that it didn't pick up on any of the audience because there was some audience participation. They, I had them ask me questions and things like that. So my apologies if you can't really hear them, but you can definitely hear me. If you have any questions about what was actually going on, let me know. Send me some feedback and I'll see what I can do. I kind of wish I had actually recorded this with a camera so you could have seen the PowerPoint, but I am going to be attaching a link to the PowerPoint as a PDF, I should say. I converted it to a PDF for you to see what the visuals were. So with that background laid out for you, let me get to the actual day. So this was this past weekend, the last weekend, first weekend of October, uh, last week of September, first weekend of October. I was just going to day trip up there for the Saturday. So like I said, it took me a little more than two, a little less, I should say, than, uh, than two hours to get there. It was at the Century Center, which is a big event venue up there. It's across the street from a hotel. I originally thought it took place at the hotel because I was just I was just at All Monsters Attack, which took place at a hotel and you know g-fest takes place at a hotel 
And so I walked into the hotel. I asked him, where's Ramacon? They said it was across the street. So then I had to move all the way over there, get into the parking and rush in there. And you got to understand, my panel was at 1130 and I was barely there at 11. I wanted to give myself a little bit more time than that just to get the lay of the land. But that just didn't quite work out with trying to get ready in the morning and leave. And I was already operating on a little less sleep than normal. And so I was properly caffeinated for the uh, for this situation. So I'm there and you, I've got a bunch of stuff that I'm taking. I'm taking my podcast gear and my laptop and the backpack. I just I had a whole bunch of stuff I was carting in. So I get in there. And unfortunately, the signage outside of the Century Center was not was basically non-existent. I just that's why I went to the hotel first, not to the Century Center. But although once I got inside the Century Center, it was a heck of a lot better. There was signage everywhere. I knew exactly where to go. Here's my first little gripe with this convention. I don't know if it was because I postponed on pre-registering because I was a little uncertain for a while if I was even going to make it, but I couldn't buy a day pass for Saturday. I could buy one for Sunday, but I couldn't do it for Saturday, which I thought was kind of lame because a lot of people are, if they're going to come to a convention, they're only going to go on Saturday especially if it's a three-day con like this. So I was a little upset about that. I ended up having to pay for three days, even though I was only going to be there for one. But, you know, live and learn. I you know, If I go again next year, I'll know what to expect. But I am going to let the organizers know that I didn't really like that. But anyway, got in there, got my pass. Got a little ribbon saying I was a panelist. It was great. They told me... Uh, they told me where to go well or rather i figured out where to go i saw where i was supposed to go and asked him where was it told me to go downstairs so i went downstairs found my room and then there was my second minor gripe the room wasn't ready the other panel rooms were ready at least in the hall that i walked down the lights were on and everything but i walked in there and even though there were already a couple of people there the lights were off and the projector and the screen they weren't on, near as I could tell. Basically, nothing was ready for me to be there. So I tried to fig fiddle around with the lighting system to get it to turn on, but it's incredibly weird and electronic, and I wasn't sure what was how to handle it. I'd never seen a lighting setup like this. It was I just couldn't technobabble the MacGuffin enough to, you know, to figure it out, and I was crunched for time, and I wanted to make sure I started on time. So I did find someone, a volunteer, to help me out with that, and I just let him handle the lighting while I tried to get everything set up. And thankfully, he was able to get the lights on, not as well as I would have liked, or maybe he was doing that because he knew I was going to be showing some slides and wanted to make sure we, that I could see the slides. So I let him take care of that, and I set everything up. I chatted with the people who were there. There was a handful of people there, including a family. It was a dad and a couple of kids, who were from Fort Wayne. And I said, guess what? I'm from Fort Wayne too. And remember when there was an anime con in Fort Wayne? Because that was a thing for a while. Anyway, I got all of that set up. You can listen to the audio of the presentation. So I won't spend any more time on that. But basically, that was the first thing I had to do. So I had a bunch of time for the rest of the day to kill because I'm like, I need to actually do things because I paid to be here. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> yeah, leaning down to get the schedule so I can look at what all went down so and remember what I was doing. 
I went to a couple of events after that. Yeah, here we go. Let's see. And there were a few things that I looked at that I kind of wanted to try. And even looking at this schedule, there's some things in here. I'm like, oh, man, I kind of wish I could have tried that. Like, there was cosplay chess. That just sounds fun. And there, I, I did witness a little bit of the foam fighting, which is basically pe uh, the people made foam weapons like swords and shields and things like that. And in a big, uh, in this big ballroom and people would fight each other with it. And I got to say, as much as I wanted to try it, the people who were doing, it, I was a little disappointed because they were not nearly as aggressive as I thought they would be. They're a little too cautious. I thought, but uh, I think after that, since it was already that time, I decided to get some lunch. So I went and ate the food that I had in the car because they didn't allow for you to bring outside food and drink in. Although I did still get my water thermos in there but admittedly i learned very quickly that this convention skews zoomer so i felt a little out of touch since being the millennial and i also noticed that a lot of the events and such were centered around either activities that i didn't have all that much interest in or animes that were a lot newer and that i didn't have as much familiarity with so, you know, I felt a little bit out of place, but I wasn't entirely out of place. So the next thing I did in terms of actual events is I went to a panel called A Visual History of Mecca, which I thought would be a good follow-up to, you know, what I was doing. In fact, some people even asked me if I was running that panel, and I told them no. It was actually run by a YouTuber by the name of Professor Otaku, and he went over basically the entire history briefly, relatively briefly, because it's you know, we're talking going all the way back to basically the beginning of anime in the 50s with Astro Boy, talking about the history of Mecha in anime. And I actually thought it was pretty good. I learned about a few thing, a few series and such that I didn't know about. I was able to contribute to that and mention some things about stuff that he wasn't quite as familiar with, like Code Geass, because I've seen Code Geass and he hasn't, but he had to mention it because it's it has Mecha in it and, you know, I, and all of that sort of stuff. I actually found it to be pretty enlightening. There was even a guy there who, because this uh, Professor Otaku mentioned stuff about Kamen Rider and when he took questions, this guy didn't ask him anything about Mech. He asked him stuff about Common Rider, and the and uh, uh, um, it just amused me considering I host another podcast, Tension Men, that talks about Common Rider among other things. And so we asked him, "Well, where do I start?" And they had a little talk about that. And then I went over and I chatted with the guy for a few minutes. And this was toward the end of the panel to let him know that hey, I podcast about this, and I can you know maybe I can give you a few pointers too because I've seen a bit of Common Rider. And you know, he seemed to appreciate that. And then after that, I went around and took a look at the vendor hall, bought, bought a few things. Not a lot. I will confess that this is one of those rare times I went into a vendor hall and I didn't find a whole lot that just really grabbed me and that I really wanted to buy. I did buy a few things, mostly just little trinkets, you know. Uh, most notably, I got a, I believe it is actually a Japanese import from a booth that I believe, I think that's what the, this is the name of the actual booth, Fast Food Anime. And it's actually import stuff from Japan and it's a keychain uh, from, I believe, I think, yeah, I think, no, no, it's not specific, it's not specifically Street Fighter 4, but it is Street Fighter. Kid Robot, is it Kid Robot Cross Street Fighter? It's a enamel keychain with Guile and M. Bison. 
you know, Van Damme and Julia. You know, so you can't go wrong there. So that was kind of nice. I was able to get some pictures with some cosplayers, talk to a few people, met some of the people who came to my panel and told them a little bit more about my podcast and fun stuff like that. But then I have what next to my own panel was probably the highlight of my day. And this is where I'm gonna, oh boy, I got a lot of stories to tell about this one. It was a panel called Kaiju Court, which I found out when I went there was apparently something that's been happening every year for about five years. And originally, I thought it was going to be a performance panel. People would act out something. Well, that was true, but it wasn't that there was a troop of people who were going to do it. No, this was an audience participation thing. It was a role play. Basically, to put it succinctly, because there were a handful of rules that went along with it that they had to explain to everybody at the start. Basically... People from the audience could be lawyers representing kaiju who are being put on trial, which I thought, okay, so it's like, you know, people try to take Godzilla to court uh, uh, because he smashed a city and tell him that, you know, he caused so much money and property damage or he murdered people or something like that. I was like, okay, this could be kind of interesting. And when I found out it was audience participation, I'm like, oh, now I have to. You know I have to. I mean, come on. You've listened to the show. You've listened to the other shows that I've been on. I'm a cast member on Power Rangers, the audio drama. You know I got to do this. I've taken improv comedy classes. I know how to do this, people. So I did put my name into the hat. And I wasn't sure if I was going to get on there because, you know, luck of the draw and all that fun stuff. But the way it worked is that you would have one person be the defense attorney, one person be the prosecutor. You could, if you wanted to, have a friend come with you as a legal assistant, or you could call people from the audience as witnesses and things like that. There was a table full of random objects like stuffed fish and tiny toy Furbies and things like that. picture frames with random pictures that you could use as evidence. You could pick three things off of there and use it as evidence. We had to wear, apparently it was suit coats before, but this time we're wearing these these vests that are neon yellow. So that way, the joke being that that way your kaiju can see you, your, your client can see you. Now, there were some pre-made clients that you could select from, like, you know, Godzilla. I think I saw Ultra 7, the 50-foot woman, a bunch, you know, several of these things that you could pick from in case you didn't want to come up with something. But for I think only one person really, no, I think two people did that. Everyone else came up with their own stuff. I was surprised to find out that there is apparently established lore for this thing because there are still certain characters who are still serving out their sentences, which I thought was pretty amusing. They also said, we do have banned characters. And I thought... Wow, okay, banned characters. One was Cthulhu because, well, Cthulhu is a elder god. So it's like, even if you brought Cthulhu in, would we even remember he was there? You know, that sort of stuff. The one that really amused me was, and clearly these people are kaiju fans and they've hung around in the right corners of the internet at the right time, or apparently listened to my friends over at Kaiju Weekly. <laughs> Clifford the Big Red Dog. Yes, he is banned because someone used Clifford and Cthulhu in past sessions. And apparently there was a case of Clifford v. Cthulhu and Clifford won, 
because it was they mentioned how it happened and made some jokes about it not too much and i'm just like you've got to be kidding me this actually happened okay so banned got it so with all that set up i'm just sitting here waiting to see if my name gets drawn so they ended up doing four sessions in the first two well it wasn't even just the first two i quickly learned that for whatever reason with this crowd the earth defense force video game series which i thought was kind of niche kind of obscure almost despite the fact that there's a bunch of games for it and i've played several of them i'm familiar with the game with the games i should say and i do enjoy them but the first one we get is a giant was a giant mech from it was a walking fortress balam or something like that it was from earth defense force it took me a minute to figure i was like what the heck are we talking about is it the video games and i looked up and I'm like yeah it was i mean i was able to rile up some people to do some edf chants which made amused me that told me just how popular it was with this particular crowd which was kind of nice. Oh, and the the people who were running it, you had one guy who was basically the GM. One guy is a stenographer who was ba- just playing around with, I'm guessing it was PowerPoint or something like that, and he would find pictures of all of the monsters being represented and things. I have it up on a screen for everybody to see. And then you had a girl who was the judge, a girl who was handling the evidence and things like that. And they said that at one point they had bailiffs, but they didn't really have a bailiff now and things like that. So there's a handful of people who are running this. And the sentences that would get carried out would be just stuff that was absolutely hilarious. It's just ridiculous. And that's another thing that the stenographer would do is he would do these funny little Photoshop jobs to illustrate what happened to whichever kaiju lost the case. So, yeah, it was Balam and Godzilla in the first one. And I forget who won that one. I believe Godzilla did win that one. And I think the case centered around Godzilla was accusing Balam of stealing his image. Sure. I mean, I, I went through several ideas this whole time until I actually got to my turn about what I could, oh, which characters I would use and what the case would be. I went through stuff like uh, at one point I considered Daimajin and Jet Jaguar. I considered Zilla, who. Because there's a storyline going on like this, sort of, it's just a little detail, (laughs) subplot maybe, in the show about Dr. Totopoulos trying to convince Toho to let, uh, legally, allow him to call Zilla Godzilla again. So I thought about doing that and say it was identity theft. I'm trying to remember, what was the other one I was going to say? What was I going to do? I wanted to do something that was a little bit obscure. I was really dedicated to it for a while there. See, uh, Daimajin, Jet Jaguar, Zilla. Oh, I was going to do Jaras and say that <laughs> I was hoping to be, go up against Godzilla and say that Jer- you know, that Godzilla was trying to accuse Jaras of, identi- uh, not identity theft, but copyright infringement because, well, they look practically the same except Jaras has a frill and is spray-painted. It, you know, Look it up, people. It's an Ultraman kaiju. Well, uh, but I ended up not using any of those, and I'll explain that in a minute once I get to what I did. And then the second round was kind of amusing. There was this girl who could tell had some stage experience. She knew how to perform. was very good at it. So was the other woman who was the defense attorney. But it was Suzanu, the, thun- the Japanese thunder god, the killer of the Orochi, Slayer of the Orochi. And 
<laughs> the Mood Slime Statue of Liberty from Ghostbusters 2, which does technically count. And there was a lot of stuff going on on there. The woman who was the defense attorney ended up creating this character, even though she was from New York, she had a Southern accent. <laughs> so that was just bonkers. And the crime in question was Suzanu was accusing Lady Liberty of inspiring people to basically take charge of their own lives and not rely on God. So he was losing power and such because of it. And so that was a, an interesting back and forth there for a while. And I believe Lady Liberty ended up winning. And I don't remember what happened to... I can't remember what happened to Balam as his sentence. Suzanu, I think, ended up becoming a mascot for... It was, it was, it was supposed to be Spirit of Halloween, but they made it Spirit Rocks because that was one of the pieces of evidence was a little painted stone that said Believe on it. And that was a point of contention. During the drama, drama, air quotes. <laughs> so that was pretty amusing. So then on the third round, I had my name drawn. I was pretty excited at this point. And I had finally settled on my client. And it was none of the ones I had considered before. And I know as soon as I say, as soon as I say who my client was, some of you are going to take me to task over it. And you know what? I welcome it. Bring it. I will explain. I'll explain here, and I'll explain in further detail if necessary. I will debate you, if I have to, over whether or not my client qualified as a kaiju. Now, I will tell you, I ended up being the defense attorney. The prosecutor was representing, shout out to Chris Cook and my co-host, uh, you know, host of One Cost Radio, and my co-host on the power trip, Michael Hamilton. The prosecutor was representing Rhino Blaster, a season one Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Monster of the Week, and my client was Moby Dick. Yes, you heard that correctly. Moby Dick, yes, from the novel, the classic novel that we all had to read in school, Moby Dick. He's a kaiju. Yes, he is a kaiju. How is he a kaiju? Let me explain. I'm glad you asked that. So, Moby Dick is unusually large for a whale. He is unusually aggressive, which means he actually has a bit of personality. He has he is displaying actual malice. That is a human trait. That is an anthropomorphism, which also goes along with being a kaiju. Actual malice. That's personality. It also displays a level of intelligence greater than normal. He is also unusually colored because he is albino. And to top it all off, he seems to be exceptionally difficult to kill, as Captain Ahab illustrated. Again, read the novel, come back to me, and tell me I'm wrong. Funny thing was, I did it not only because I'm a lit nerd and I wanted to do that and kind of throw people for a loop a little bit, but also because it gave me an excuse to quote the novel thanks to Star Trek II, which I did twice. I did twice, and I was proud of myself. Now, I didn't get to select the crime for which my client, Mr. Dick, was accused. And what was his crime? Well, out of nowhere... In the uh, after a kind of rambly opening, uh, opening argument from the prosecutor, suddenly I find out that Rhino Blaster is accusing Moby Dick of quote unquote 
murdering by eating his parents, parents, air quotes, Rita Repulsa and Finster. I was not entirely prepared for that because I thought he was going in a di- completely different direction. So yeah, that's what I was dealing with. So we each went and got a couple pieces of evidence, only one of which, if I remember correctly, the prosecutor actually used. Oh, by the way, there were the judge had a ma- uh, the judge's mallet was a squeaky hammer, which was hilarious. <laughs> Shout out to Danny Demana, my hammer doth squeaketh. And so one of the things that the prosecutor got was it was a toy fishing pole, and he said that it was used. But if I remember correctly, I think he said it was used by Rita and Finster. And I took a look at it, and the first thing I said was, Sir, you realize this is a toy, correct? What is this actually fishing? And I think he said dreams. So I turned that around and said, Ah, I see. So my client was clearly acting in self-defense because Rita and Finster were attempting to steal his dreams. Seemed to work pretty well. And then I had a couple pieces of my own evidence, one of which was a giant, what looked like a giant toy syringe with filled with blood. And I said that, I think, I don't think this was my first point. I think it was a second one that I made when I was presenting my evidence. And I said that they were, that Rita and Finster were attempting to steal his blood, Moby Dick's blood, in order to make more monsters. Also seemed reasonable. So once again, he was acting in self-defense. The craziest part of the whole thing that I don't think the people running this panel were ready for, but they were incredibly good sports and they rolled with it. They rolled with it exceptionally well. I picked up as a piece of evidence originally, I thought it was just, uh, it was a, uh, it's about a foot long. It was a stuffed fish. That wasn't a plush. It was filled with beans, like a bean bag. And originally I got it thinking, okay, I'm representing a whale. I'm going to say this is like a fish corpse or something like that. And I make some sort of connection to my case. Instead, I held it up. I, I Well, I should say I didn't hold it up. I asked, may I call a witness to the stand? And they asked who? And I held up the beanbag fish, which by the way, the beanbag fish was used in one of the previous sessions believe was by the woman who was representing mood slime lady liberty that's why it occurred to me to use it and i just held that up i don't think they were quite prepared for that but there was a guy who came over he took the fish he took it over to the designated witness stand put it put his phone under it and it had a swore the fish in it swore to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth <laughs> the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth <laughs> so help him god godzilla I don't know if I heard that part, but that would have been great. I, they went with it, so I got up, and I thought at first what I would do is I would just talk to the fish. It'd be, it would be kind of like me and Jimmy on the podcast. You know, I understand what he's saying, and I have to translate for everybody. But instead, there was this girl who, on the fly, because gave the fish a voice, became the voice of the fish. So I actually had somebody to play off of. And I found out that the fish's name was Kenneth. And he was very traumatized by what he had seen. Very, very traumatized. It was a little difficult to get any information out of him because he was PTSDing harder than Jimmy. Good Lord. I thought Jimmy had it bad. This poor fish. He seen things, man. Would have thought he came back from Nam. (laughs) 
I ended up ending the line of questioning because I think it basically turned into him rambling about the the horny fish. <laughs> Didn't know what to make of that one, and so I moved on. <laughs> Went back over. Finished, then uh, we finished our closing statements where I got to quote even more of the novel because I said that Rita and Finster chased my client around the moons of Nibia and around Perdition's flames before he, they gave him up. Thank you. <laughs> Khan Noonien Singh, thank you. <laughs> now, I confess, I confess, I did not succeed at getting my client off. However, I got him convicted of a lesser charge and a reduced sentence. It was not murder. I was able to convince them that, yes, self-defense was happening, but the judge figured that there was still crimes being committed. So it just wasn't murder. So my client, Moby Dick, is now currently serving three months of community service at SeaWorld. It's canon. I think it is. Anyway, the last session was a couple of people who are, I guess, are friends with the people who run it. And I'm going to be honest with you. I wasn't impressed with what they were doing. I think they had planned to, to do this whole thing from the get-go. They were, I think they knew each other. They might have even been a couple. I'm not sure. One of them was wearing a, a terribly elaborate jumpsuit hoodie-looking thing that made her look like Ava Unit 1 from the Genesis Evangelion. The other guy was cosplaying, but I can't remember who he was cosplaying. And... They were representing, who was it? It was another EDF mech. I can't remember what it was. And the other one was representing an incredibly obscure Neon Genesis Evangelion Ava unit that you have to really dig around to find. And it sounded incredibly weird. It was from a manga, you know, for like a page or two or something like that. It was goofy. And... I wasn't too impressed with what they were doing. I'm sure they thought they were funny, but I didn't find it all that funny. It just, it it just wasn't working for me. I don't know if it was just my sense of humor, but it didn't sound like anybody else was finding it all that funny either. But oh well, you know, they got their session. Trying to be all weird. After that, I went and got myself some dinner, and just kind of hung around to see what other events were going on in the main hall. I saw a little bit of a, apparently it was a rock, paper, scissors tournament, because I guess we do things like that here. I you know, did a little bit of work for some of the podcasts, talked to, uh, talk to Michael on the phone and stuff like that. But I did want to leave immediately. I wanted to actually do some things before I left. You know, I had a two-hour trip ahead of me. I found out looking at the schedule that much like Gen Con, this convention actually had events basically going on all night, which did give me a little bit of incentive, maybe next time, to actually stay overnight and see what those events are like. I am interested in seeing more of this thing, for sure. It was I should mention, it's a relatively small con. I'm not sure exactly how many people were there. They said last year when they had it, they had about 1,100, and they were projecting to have about 1,600. It's decent-sized, I will say. I don't know if I felt like there were that many people there. But in the same room where they're having the foam wars that I was a little underwhelmed by, I saw that they were going to be having laser tag. So I thought, oh, why not? I'll play around with that for a little bit, and then I'll head home. After you know taking a look around the place, I'd never been to the Century Center before. Oh, boy. I'm glad I didn't get charged for this laser tag session because I would ask for my money back. It was the worst 
laser tag session ever that I've had. It was might have been one of the worst con events that I've ever participated in. I heard that in years past when they had had this event, they actually had full tilt vests and everything like you would see at a laser tag place. You now you know what they were doing? You, you, you see the ever go to Walmart and see these boxes with these things marked laser X, which every time I see them at Walmart, that just cracks me up because we have an actual laser tag place here in Fort Wayne called laser X. It, they're just toys. They're just, they're toys. They has a, a strap with a sensor on it that you can put on your forearm. And that's the only thing that you can hit as far as I can. I'd never used these stupid toys before. And the whole thing ended up just being lame because people would just, camp behind cover and almost never move and then they had to basically be goaded into actually running out there and hitting them and you know they as long as they kept the sensor hidden they were practically invincible and people were cheating there was a lot of cheating going on with people covering the sensor or putting in a place that you couldn't really hit it and these the game masters to their credit were trying to keep people from doing that your the sensor would turn off after you got hit so many times but there were people who would just flip it on and ba- flip it off and back on and then would respawn, essentially. So it was just, I ended up getting really annoyed with it. I played a handful of sessions, but and it was definitely better with teams than it was one-on-one. One-on-one, you just got slaughtered inside of 30 seconds because you know, everyone's just shooting everywhere. But the worst part was I couldn't tell what I was hitting because these guns don't actually make laser i couldn't see a laser point or or a beam come out i couldn't tell what was going on i was practically it was invisible i was like i don't know if i'm shooting anything it was a i just it was awful it was awful it was so incredibly stupid and i probably played that longer than i should have and i wish i hadn't i really wish i hadn't but what can you do probably won't do that again next year but good lord if i had done the should have did the foam wars i would have just slaughtered those people because i would have been a heck of a lot more aggressive these people just didn't take it seriously enough it was so weird (sighs) come on people just get into it anyway so with that just to give some concluding thoughts on this i did end up enjoying myself overall i'm willing to go back next year they've announced that their theme next year is going to be 90s so might still go back do another panel presentation on kaiju perhaps maybe we'll do the same one see if more people come or, you know, maybe give a panel presentation on Henshin Heroes or something along those lines. I can still kind of fit into what it is that they're talking about. Also, I mean, I have to go back to continue contributing to the lore of Kaiju Court. And maybe, maybe, I don't think I could get Damon Noise to come with me to this con so he could play his character Raymond, Raymond Martin the lawyer on there. But I might be able, I might see if I can talked him into letting me getting him on getting him on the phone or skype or something like that so that he can be there in spirit remotely and then we can have an actual law session there (laughs) which i think would be great because damon is amazing he's a role player he and he plays the character of raymond just amazingly well so i would love to see him actually have a humorous court scene at this convention. It would be great. It would be great. And then we can graft kaiju cords into the canon of MIFV. It'll be great. Anyway, with that, enjoy listening to the audio of my panel presentation, 
Kaiju 101. Hello, Kaiju lovers, and and I am Nathan Marchand coming to you live from RamenCon in South Bend, Indiana. I am recording a panel presentation that I am giving called Kaiju 101. We've got a handful of wonderful people here who I am sure are <laughs> who I'm sure are kaiju curious, shall we say? That's why you're here, right? <laughs> so Kaiju 101. Unfortunately, you can't see the lovely PowerPoint presentation that I have put together for this, but all these lovely people will get to see it at the very least. I got some fellow Fort Wayneians here, which makes me happy. <laughs> so, we'll start, because uh, I'm a I, I'm a podcaster, I'm an author, I'm also a teacher, you can probably tell, right? <laughs> Just a little. So, I, whenever I teach anything, you'll want to start with definition. So, what is a kaiju? Anyone care to venture a guess? What is a kaiju? Don't cheat by looking at the screen. No, <laughs> you're not allowed. <laughs> I w uh, you're getting there. That's uh, that's an example, sir. <laughs> that's the same thing. <laughs> it's just it, it's just different names. Okay, it's just do you want the Japanese or do you want the Americanized version? Okay, but. For those who don't know, to the uninitiated, which I'm assuming is all of you here, kaiju is a Japanese word. It literally, the, the word literally means strange beast. This has a pretty interesting history. This is all going to be, by the way, you know, just very Cliff Notes version. You could dive headlong into this, trust me. So it was originally used for creatures in ancient Japanese legends. The word, this is the funny thing I found out. The word, even though it's a Japanese word, it was originally used, as far as we can tell, in a Chinese text, which is kind of interesting. It was called Classic of Mountains and Seas, or the, I hope I'm saying this right, the Shanghai Ji or Shanghai Ching, which is a record of mythic geography and and beasts, and that's a little bit of a typo there, dating as far back as the 4th century B.C. So it's a very old word. Later on, as usually happens with language, as time goes on, the usage of the word gets applied to different things, and then the word itself evolves. So it was later used in reference to paleonto uh, paleontology and other legendary creatures after Japan, and I'm sure a lot of you may know this, after Japan opened up to the rest of the world in the mid-19th century. That was a huge event in Japanese history. You probably heard of, I'm trying, to remember his, uh, trying to remember his name, but of, uh, the coming of the black ships. Has anyone heard that term before? Happened in the 1850s. The, yeah, happened in the 1850s. It was a huge event. Before that, Japan was very, uh, was very isolated. There were foreigners who came to visit and all of that, but this was when Japan fully opened itself up to the rest of the world. Now, the funny thing is, despite all of this, there are no folklore depictions of kaiju. Kaiju have their origin primarily in film. So, continuing on with that, the word, as you pointed out, sir, what's your name? Martin? Martin. What? Mark, 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 sorry. <laughs> the word 
is applied, generally speaking, to gigantic monsters. Funny thing, though, there is disagreement in the kaiju fandom over what exactly qualifies as a kaiju. How big is big enough to be a kaiju? And what other things... Welcome, everybody. <laughs> Glad to see you all coming in. And how big do you, does something have to be to be a kaiju? What other characteristics need to be applied to a kaiju? There's a huge debate about this. And so some people have very strict definitions of what qualifies as a kaiju. Some people have pretty loose definitions of what is a kaiju. It's, like I said, it's a big topic of debate. I will, I'll show some, uh, some very famous examples of kaiju, but, I mean, you could debate things like, I've actually joked, Moby Dick, I'm a lit nerd. Moby Dick, I would argue, is a kaiju because he's unusually large and because he's a, an albino whale, he has unusual coloration, unusual physical characteristics besides size, hence strange beast. Is for those who came in late, that's what kaiju means in Japanese. Strange beast. And Moby Dick also seems to have unnatural powers that a whale would not have. Uh, I've, yes, sir? All right. Right, yeah, I should show you my first slide where I, this is, you know, this is like a very, ba this is probably going to be really basic for you. You sound like a, a super fan, so, yeah. But, uh, my, by the way, my name's Nathan Marchand. I'm a podcaster, an author, and a teacher, you can probably tell. <laughs> so, going on to my next point, the word kaiju, this is an interesting thing. Kaiju is now an English loan word. Does anyone know what the term loan word means? Yes, but there's no translation of it. So, you know, to give an example that all of us are very familiar with, taco. Taco is a Spanish word that then got loaned into English. So taco is also an English word. And kaiju has become that now. I would, this is my personal theory. I think it's because of the movie Pacific Rim. That, I think, because that was, you know, a big blockbuster movie that was meant for a general audience and not for, you know, the niche audience of kaiju fans. And it just used the word, even gave a little definition of it at the beginning of the film. And I think ever since then, I've noticed that that has really gotten into the vernacular and has been more common. People will throw the word kaiju around and you don't have to explain what you mean anymore, which I kind of like. Now... Here's the thing that makes this a little bit more complicated. There are some related words to kaiju that, like I said, kind of muddy the waters a little bit when it comes to what is a kaiju. One that you have, and that's what some of these illustrations are on here. Uh, unfortunately, I wish the screen was bigger so you could see this, uh, see this better. If I knew the screen was going to be this small, I probably would have made the text larger. But you have kaijin. Has anyone heard the term kaijin? You've heard kaijin? Now, where did you hear it? Okay. Okay. Kaijin means strange person or strange man. And it's used for human-sized monsters or, in the case of common Rider. Has anyone heard of common Rider? Right. Or Mast Rider. That's the, that's the English translation. 
You know what I'm talking about? The Japanese superhero? Huh? Okay. Well, he fights kaijin, but they're supposed to be cyborgs, so they're cybernetically or genetically modified creatures that are human-sized. And this picture that you see here at the top here, that is Batman. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That was one of the first monsters fought by Kamen Rider. I think it was in episode two. To make this even funnier, the first monster Kamen Rider ever fought in his first episode, which I don't have a picture of, was Spider-Man. Only a tiny bit confusing. <laughs> no hyphenation or, and spaces, by the way. So I guess that's how it's different. It's, it's weird. And then you also have Daikaiju. Has anyone heard Daikaiju? Obviously, you have. You've heard all of these. Yeah. A Daikaiju, for those who... Uh, Daikaiju means giant kaiju. Because Dai, you've, you've probably heard this a lot in, you know, some of the, you know, in the anime and other media that you've consumed. Dai is a prefix used in Japanese to denote large size, gigantic. Yes. Dai katana, a giant sword. So, that is probably the more accurate term when we're talking about giant monsters but like i said you know that's a bit you know just a more descriptive word but kaiju still gets applied generally speaking to those and then you also have seijin has anyone heard seijin yeah seijin means star people it's used for extraterrestrials and it was popularized by Ultraman. Has anyone, I'm sure, people, more people are hearing about Ultraman now. Has anyone heard of Ultraman? He's ba Ultraman is a superhero. He's basically the equivalent of Superman in Japan. And the, the picture on the side here, that is Baltan Seijin, or Alien Baltan. That is one of the most popular villains from Ultraman. But the thing that's weird is that sometimes he's called Baltan Seijin, you know, alien Baltan, but there's also one called Baltan Kaiju because Baltan will start off human size and then he'll get big. So I guess it's like the small version is Baltan Seijin, the big one is Baltan Kaiju. It's confusing, but you may just, just call him Baltan and move on. And then Mecha. We were talking about Mecha a little bit, so that's why I have... Mecha Godzilla <laughs> from Godzilla versus Kong on here. Mecha is used for giant robots. We're all anime fans here. We all know about Mecha, you know, Gundam and just there's whole slews of Mecha anime out there. Now, here's the thing though. Not all Mecha are kaiju, but in terms of, you know, uh, but in terms of, you know, things like Mecha Godzilla, that is a Mecha kaiju as far as I care. And there are other examples of that. But I would not call Gundam. As much as we all love Gundam here, I would not call Gundam Kaiju. Hello to people who just came in. And then there's Tokusatsu. Has anyone heard Tokusatsu? This is a term that's getting a little more popular. Again, sir, I know. What is your name again? Mason? Okay. I, Mason, I know you're going to know what all of this is. Yeah, Tokusatsu is a Japanese word for special effects. This is used for special effects-driven media. So it's, it's like anime in that it's not so much a genre as it is a medium. Does that make sense? And I would argue that you, know, you have American productions that are obviously influenced by anime, like Avatar The Last Airbender. 
you all, I would basically say that tokusatsu can apply to anything that is special effects driven, regardless of where it comes from. Now, some would argue that tokusatsu, if done the Japanese way, has a uh, a particular style to it, but that I would say the same thing about anime. But I'm a little bit weird where I'm willing to apply tokusatsu more broadly, but I'm my definition of anime is a much more narrow. I actually say it has to come from Japan to be anime, but I'm weird. But anyway, that's a discussion for a whole other day. But these are terms that you're going to see a lot. Basically, what I would say is, not all to- much like Mecha, not all tokusatsu is kaiju, but all kaiju is tokusatsu. But the two of them developed basically simultaneously, and they all also all basically started at the same point for all intents and purposes, which is the original Godzilla film from 1954. That is credited as basically being the start of both of these. Even though you can look at stuff that kind of predates it a little bit, which is part of what we'll be talking about today. So, throw uh, for the uh, let's play a. Uh, Let's have, be a little bit interactive here. Give me some examples of kaiju. Just name some off the top of your head. Except you, Mason. Because you know them all. <laughs> Power Rangers is a bit of an interesting case because it kind of starts off, they kind of start off as kaijin and then become kaiju. So that's, that gets a little weird, <laughs> admittedly. What else? Gamera! Friend to all children! <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is actually one of his nicknames. Yes. Mothra, that's another great example. Goji, yes, you got Godzilla. But yeah, so, uh, well, since you've named a few of them already, obviously one of the most famous of all kaiju, Godzilla himself. We've we talked about him. And there's one I'm a little surprised no one's brought up yet because... As far as I care, he's on par, maybe even slightly higher in terms of influence in the whole genre. But actually, I would say, you know, just over filmmaking and just everything in general. No one's brought him up. King Kong. Yes. No, he, no, no. Because as you'll find out here, because if, as you're going to find out here, without King Kong, there would be no Godzilla, and it would be none of the rest of it. King Kong is the granddaddy of them all. Just letting you know right now. Now, some would argue, uh, try, would try to argue that he's not a kaiju, particularly the original version that's about, depending on the shot, about 25 feet tall. Yes, but one of the things that is very distinctive about Japanese kaiju in particular is they have personality. A lot of American giant monsters tend to be more animalistic, but you know, yeah, but that, that's what I'm actually working on an article about that uh, for Kaiju Ramen magazine. So, and we've, was, he was mentioned, the original Ninja Turtle himself, Gamera. <laughs> uh, although this is from, this is Gamera from the 90s. If you, the old Gamera movies are, range from barely mediocre to terrible. You want to watch good Gamera movies, get the 90s trilogy. And then there was one more movie made after that called Gamera the Brave that'll break your heart. <laughs> it's it just, just so you know. And yes, Mothra. Someone, who brought up Mothra? Yeah. What's your name, sir? Daryl? Okay, yeah. So, yes, Mothra, also a kaiju. And there's another one 
The last of Toho's big three. Anyone know? Uh, he's one of the big ones, but no, not uh, I, that's not the last one I have on here. Yes, Rodan. <laughs> Rodan, the pterodactyl. The thing you'll, you'll notice here, we've got a, a wide variety of kaiju because kaiju can come in multiple forms and types. You can have lizards, dinosaurs, uh, turtles, insects, mammalian like King Kong. They come in a variety of shapes and sizes different types. So they're not limited by things like that. I would even make the argument that Cthulhu might be a kaiju. I've been asked that. Someone asked me, is Cthulhu a kaiju? And I said, yeah. <laughs> I would say he qualifies. So let's talk about the kaiju genre. The genre. Because kaiju really is a genre. So you, uh, there's the technical term for it, if we're talking about movies, is kaijuega which means kaiju film. But keep in mind, kaiju can is a genre that can exist in any medium because there are video games that are about kaiju. There are books that are about kaiju novels. I've written some. I have a few copies if you want to see them. It, like I said, it can exist in any form. So, But we're going to be focusing primarily on film because that's where it's best known. And... Honestly, kind of where it fares the best because it's a very visual medium. So there are some influences, some very distinctly Japanese influences that I want to talk about in brief here that help to make the genre what it is. One is yokai. I'm sure some of you here have at least heard the term yokai. It's a big deal in Japan. It, it, the word means strange apparition. And these are spirits and creatures from Japanese folklore they're, they're basically urban legends and cautionary tales. And there are yokai for everything. Which one? Yokai Watch. Yeah, that's a popular one. But like I said, there are yokai for everything. Some of them are malicious. Some of them are nice. It's, it, they really run the gamut. There are, uh, there are movies in Japan based on it. There are television shows where, like I said, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. Like I said, they have one for everything. There's a yokai for toilets. I'm not kidding. The some of the most famous yokai would be uh, the long-necked woman. Has anyone heard about the long-necked woman? You have, yeah, yeah. So these urban legends, these creatures, often inspire the designs and origins of kaiju. You could even argue that. Kaiju, like Godzilla, have some yokai characteristics. Because Godzilla is, even though they give a quote-unquote scientific explanation for him, there's some elements of the supernatural attached to him, at least implicitly. And in some cases, it, it is explicit, depending on the movie. <laughs> then there's Bunraku, which is a Japanese puppet theater. That started in the 17th century. The performers are seen on stage with the puppets. So it's not a case of where they're hiding behind the stage, so you can't see them. And since the puppets can't talk, they rely on a narrator, I hope I'm saying this right, called a taiyu, who, like I said, explains everything that's going on. And there are kaiju movies because the kaiju, generally speaking, can't talk. There are instances where Godzilla has spoken. 
Actually, I like them, but <laughs> but that's a whole other discussion for another day. But there are some like there's a movie called Ghidorah the Three Headed Monster where, for those who don't know, Mothra has doll sized twin priestesses, and there's a point where they basically are the monsters are all talking to each other and kaiju speak, and the fairies translate to let the humans know what's going on. So they kind of function as a taiyu. Now, it, this whole Bunraku puppet theater thing is very similar to Suitmation, which is generally speaking how they make kaiju media. They have men in rubber suits. So it's a little bit kind of, you know, it's the, except it's kind of like Bunraku, but the puppeteer is inside the puppet, basically. And it's also why, even though to a lot of Western audiences, they look at this and they think, well, that looks cheap. The Japanese are not bothered by it because of, you know, because of uh, cultural influences like this. You know, they kind of like being able to see the seams a little bit. And then the reason I have this poster right here, this is a poster for an indie, a sh an indie short film from Japan called Howl from Beyond the Fog. You can actually get it now on mass market DVD. It was originally released by SRS Cinema that releases independent films in short runs but they got enough orders that they put it out on DVD so you can walk into Walmart or at least go onto Amazon or walmart.com and actually find it. And it is done entirely with puppets. The human characters, the kaiju, everything is puppets. It's basically Bunraku on film. And it's a very interesting, very Japanese, very sad story. <laughs> but it's still very much worth watching. And then kabuki. I'm sure all of us have heard kabuki. Yeah. All of us have heard the term kabuki. This is a traditional Japanese dance drama performed on stage, generally speaking. Did anyone know that there's actually... You can find it on YouTube. There is a kabuki adaptation of Star Wars. It exists. It's on YouTube. I haven't watched all of it, but it exists. <laughs> it's structure... This is the why this is a, how it influenced kaiju at least the film genre. The structure of Bunrock, uh, excuse me, of Kabuki is has a slow build up to an explosive finale. I woke you up, didn't I? <laughs> and then a very quick resolution. And you see this in a lot of kaiju films. That's why a lot of that's why there's a little bit of a joke to the among non-kaiju fans where they say, "Oh, the end is the best part." It's like, yeah, that's because. They're building up to, bam, you know, the big kaiju fight, and then it resolves very quickly. That's how Kabuki works. The funny thing is, there has been an American filmmaker who took that structure and used it, and good Lord did people complain about it, but I understood what was going on, mostly because I had seen one of his other movies, so I knew how he worked. That being Godzilla 2014, by, directed by Gareth Edwards. It's the same structure, people, but everyone was like, I don't get to see the monsters until the end. That's because he's doing it in the very Japanese way. Okay, guys? Anyway, moving on. And then there's no theater and no means skill or talent. It's another form of Japanese dance drama that places an emphasis on music versus silence as well as masks, costumes, and props. Again, very much like Soupmation. And it all, it's structured, this, it's not seen as commonly, but its story structure is also seen in some kaiju media, and that structure consists of Joe, 
or plotting characters being introduced, and then ha, which is the rising action. So if you if you've taken English classes, you probably heard the term rising action. Yeah, and then Q, which is the slow resolution in silence. This is particularly seen if you watch the original Godzilla film in Japanese. The it's the finale for it is actually very quiet. There's a lot of there's it's mostly music. There's not really all that much sound effects, and it's a very bittersweet ending. Even kind of tragic, I would say, for Godzilla. It's tragic because one of the human characters, I won't give this, I won't spoil it too much, has to die in order to defeat Godzilla. But even Godzilla himself is treated as a bit of a tragic figure in it. So, brief, very brief history of the kaiju film. Because there's too many to talk about. So I'm just giving you highlights because as of today, there are 30 plus Godzilla films. I am not listing them all out. <laughs> there are 12 Gamera movies. There are 12 official King Kong movies. That's an entire presentation unto itself. <laughs> the King Kong copyright is convoluted. And yes, I like alliteration in case you didn't notice. <laughs> so something that you'll want to keep in mind, this is something I see in the tokusatsu fandom. I'm surprised it doesn't get applied to stuff like anime. Maybe I just haven't been in the right circles for anime. But when talking about tokusatsu, they the fandom talks about it in terms of three different eras currently. And those are the eras that I have listed here as my first bullet point. And th because the way the Japanese dating system works because we use the roman calendar and they that's generally used in most of the world it's been adapted but the traditional japanese dating system they go by the reigns of the emperors and so they apply a posthumous name because every emperor gets a posthumous name that then becomes his era so it'll be like like right here, it says you know, the Showa era, which started in 1926, went to 1989. Because Emperor Showa, by the way, I think is the longest reigning emperor in Japanese history. And so what they would do is like what we would call 1926 would be Showa 1. And then they would keep going. Does that make sense? Okay. And then you had the Heisei, so Emperor Showa's son, took over in 1989, and he went until 2019, so just three years ago, and that was a big deal when that was going on. There was some talk about it in, in the news and things like that, so you actually got to see you know, the transfer of power because Emperor Heisei abdicated the throne and passed it on to his son, which then began what's called the Reiwa era, which is what Japan is in currently. So... Just letting you know that's some terminology. If you want to start digging into the into kaiju and tokusatsu, those are things you're gonna, those are terms you're gonna run into. So I want to make sure you know what they are. We're not, but beyond this, we're not really gonna talk about it a whole lot. So I would argue that even though generally speaking, they say as I I have it here, 1954 with the release of the original Godzilla, they would say that's the quote unquote proper beginning of kaiju. But there are several things that happened before it that paved the way. One is a 1925 silent film called The Lost World, which is based on the, the Doyle novel. 
Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who also created Sherlock Holmes. And like I said, it's silent and it's about going to a hidden plateau in the middle of nowhere where there are dinosaurs. And all of the dinosaurs in this are done with stop motion. And it was done by, his name is Willis O'Brien. Willis O'Brien, who then, in 1933, did the special effects for the original King Kong. Hence why I have the poster for King Kong on there. This was, I can't state how much, how revolutionary the original King Kong was for everything. It's one of the most influential movies ever made in terms of what it meant for special effects and storytelling and kaiju. It's just everything. That, to talk about the impact of that movie alone would require its own panel. And if it wasn't for this, because the people who went on to make Godzilla grew up watching King Kong. So if it wasn't for King Kong, we wouldn't have Godzilla. And you know what? Godzilla fans just have to live with that. <laughs> but another key influence that was more immediate, which is the second poster I have listed on here, was The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Has anyone ever heard of this one? This is an American film. It is, it's not his first movie, but I'm sure all of us have heard of Ray Harryhausen. He was a stop-motion special effects artist. This is not his first movie, but it's his first credited movie. He was a student of Willis O'Brien, basically took what Willis O'Brien pioneered in the 20s and 30s and perfected it. And he did the effects in this. The story of this is eerily similar to the original Godzilla. Basically, Godzilla is the beast in 20,000 Fathoms, but through a very Japanese lens because it has a lot of the same tropes. It's a giant lizard. It's a dinosaur. It's revived by nuclear radiation. It terrorizes a city. There's a scientist who says we should protect it. They have a, a scene where they dive underwater to go find it. There's a lot of similarities, because that was a big hit, and it was seen by one of the big producers, Tomoyuki Tanaka, over at Toho. And, he's, and then after another project he was trying to work on fell through, he said, hey, why don't we make something like this? So if you want to watch an interesting trilogy of films that all kind of play into each other, because Beast of 20,000 Fathoms got made because King Kong got re-released in the early 50s and it was a massive hit. So they wanted to keep going with that. But Beast in 20,000 Fathoms is basically the first atomic monster movie, which the 50s is replete with them. There's a gazillion of them. You know, all, you know, all of these atomic-powered or atomic-irradiated, mutated, whatever, monster movies. That's where a lot of, you know, like, all of the tropes that we associate with those cheesy 50s B movies started with Beast in 20,000 Fathoms. But Beast in 20,000 Fathoms is a legitimately good movie. All right, so... I mentioned Godzilla 1954 and its Americanized version, Godzilla King of the Monsters, which was released in the United States in 1956, had new footage shot. They took some stuff out. It starred Raymond Burr of Perry Mason fame playing in a, a new character who, I'm not kidding you, keep in mind this is the mid-50s. His character's name was Steve Martin. 
who was a, an American reporter who was visiting Japan and saw everything happen. It's a pretty decent rendition of it, but the Japanese version is obviously the better one. But I do think the King of the Monsters version still, I think, holds at least and has, has some historical value, even though the reason it was originally created doesn't really mean anything anymore. But again, that's a whole presentation unto itself. Then we had Mothra, the original Mothra in 1961, which completely changed the game. Just completely changed the kaiju game early on because now we had, an, we, you know, we had a benevolent monster, a female monster who was not trying to terrorize the city but was trying to rescue her kidnapped twin priestesses. Completely changed the game. No one had seen a monster like that before. There were insect monsters for, you know, before this. You know, like them, which was, had giant ants made in the 19... Actually, in 1954, same year as Godzilla. But they were very malevolent, instinctual creatures. Mothra is, is more like a benevolent goddess in that film, at least implicitly. And then, as you have to do, we had our first big crossover in the kaiju sphere. Yes, before 2021... We had King Kong versus Godzilla, which was made in Japan, and to this day remains the highest grossing and most popular Godzilla film to date. That thing made money hand over fist. And its genesis, again, is a whole story, is a whole presentation unto itself. It is a very storied origin, let me tell you. <laughs> the, although what's kind of annoying is that. It will, it will, much like the original Godzilla, it got re-edited with some new footage, and it's kind of laughable how they uh, how they mucked around with it in that Americanized version, and the Japanese version because Universal was run by jerks, <laughs> they blocked having the Japanese version released for years. Well, thanks to Criterion, you can get it, but it's buried in that big Godzilla set they put out a few years ago as a special feature, and it's not the best print of the movie. So you can see the Japanese version legally, but it's got a big paywall, unfortunately, because that set's minimum about 100 bucks if you can get it on sale. And then 1964, we had two Godzilla films. The only time where there were two Godzilla films in one year and they were momentous ones because we had another big crossover with Mothra versus Godzilla, which is still considered to be among the best Godzilla films ever made. And we also had the introduction of the Joker to Godzilla's Batman, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. Yes, the three-headed golden space dragon, and he's as awesome as that sounds. <laughs> that was his first appearance. Was it, uh, was in 1964. So, moving on, we, in 1965, we saw the introduction of Gamera, the giant turtle, and the introduction of the Kennys. If anyone is not familiar, Kenny, is, there was a dub of the original Gamera movie where they changed the kid character's name to Kenny. I, I think his name originally was Toshi. And thanks to Mystery Science Theater, because that was the version that they riffed, Kenny has now become the term that people in the kaiju and tokusatsu communities used to apply to annoying child characters 
<laughs> doesn't matter what their name actually is, they are Kenny. If it's a girl, it's Kendra. <laughs> That's where that started. 1966, Kaiju started getting onto television. So you had Subaraya Productions, which was started by the special effects artist who had been working at Toho making all of these Godzilla films and a bunch of other movies, named A.G. Subaraya. He started his own production company and started making TV shows. 1966, we had the beginning of Ultraman, and before that was a show called Ultra Q, which was more like Twilight Zone meets The X-Files, and it had a lot of kaiju in it. In fact, some of the suits used in both of those shows were recycled monster suits from Toho movies. I'm not kidding. In, in both Ultra Q and in Ultraman, there's a recycled Godzilla suit for one of the monsters. It's two different monsters, but it's obviously just a, you know, just a refurbished Godzilla suit. It's hilarious. My favorite one is the one in Ultraman, a monster named Jaras. It's literally a Godzilla suit spray-painted kind of a yellowish-green with a frill around its neck. That's what it was. They just recycled the suit because they had to. They were they uh, they were running short on time and money, and they're like, "Get that Godzilla suit, just spray paint it. It's a new monster. See, see. I guess that's where Hasbro got that for Transformers. You know, you just repaint the you just repaint the mold and say it's a different character, and people will still give you fifty bucks a pop for it. <laughs> we all fall for it. <laughs> we all fall for it. And then 1967 is often called the year of the kaiju because at this point, kaiju in Japan were like superheroes are now. They're everywhere, at the theater, on TV, They're just in everything. And every major studio in Japan in 1967 released a kaiju movie. If you're Toho, you release two because they got the whole thing started. But then a bunch of other studios, several of whom never made a kaiju movie before, tried to jump in on this bandwagon because it was the popular thing at the time. So Toho, like I said, they had two. They had King Kong Escapes. Yes, they kept. They made another King Kong movie. Again, that's a whole presentation unto itself. And Son of Godzilla, that was their Godzilla movie for the year. Daie, who made Gamera, put out their third Gamera movie, Gamera versus Gauss. Oh, I spelled that wrong. It should be G-Y-A-O-S. I'm finding typos in my own presentation. My apologies. I normally edit these better. And then you had Shochiku, which had never made a kaiju movie before and honestly never hasn't really made one since, even though this movie that I have listed here does have a sequel. Very weird sequel. <laughs> But they had the extra matter space. And oh, by the way, the posters you see on there, the one on the, the far left, that's Ultraman. And then that's the poster for the first Gamera. And then the one down here, I'll get to in a moment. And then you had Nikatsu, which may, who made a movie called Gappa, the Trifibian Monster. And I'm trying to remember, it went by a, another title. I'm trying to remember what the other, there's an alternate title that it was released under. I can't remember what it is now. Yes, I know, I'll turn in my... Kaiju nerd card at the end of the presentation. And then Subaraya Productions made their third television show called Ultra 7, which ended up being retconned as a sequel to Ultraman and Ultra Q. It's weird. 
<laughs> Again, that's a whole presentation unto itself. But it wasn't just Japan that was getting in on this. Over in South Korea, they decided to get in on this action. And again, that's a whole presentation unto itself. And they had two kaiju movies of their own. The more, the more well-known of the two is Yongari, Monster from the Deep, which is that other poster I have on there. The funny thing about Yongari is the only version of this movie that survives is the dubbed version because that was actually taken care of. The original version in the original Korean language with some, I think there were some minor edits done to the dub version, that has been lost. It's kind of tragic. And then another one that they had the same year, it's called Space Monster Wag uh, Wang Magui. I hope I said that right. Which is kind of a, a little bit of a King Kong sort of a movie. That was actually thought to be lost for decades. But somebody found it. And it's... The, the pre, and now the same company that released Hell from Beyond the Fog SRS Cinema... They just, a couple of days ago, as of this presentation, put up pre-orders for it. You can get it on Blu-ray. Pre-order. I don't know when they're going to release it. I think it'll be early next year. But that's an exciting thing. We're finally going to be able to see this supposedly long-lost movie. And then 1968, you had The Avengers of... Toho kaiju movies destroy all monsters. Big alien invasion of basically every monster that had been in any of their kaiju movies before was in there. And then the Godzilla series comes to an end. Its first run, I should say, of 15 films, I might add, comes to an end with Terror of Mechagodzilla, which was my first Godzilla film and remains one of my favorites to this day. And yeah, it's not where Mechagodzilla first appears, he made a, an appearance in the, the year before in another movie, but I think this one's the better movie. I have friends who will fight me over that, but, you know, I'm going to win. Anyway, now we'll, uh, we'll jump ahead a little bit. We had a King Kong remake in 1976 from De Laurentiis Productions. It's a weird little movie. <laughs> it's, it's a weird little movie. I'm trying to remember the... Jeff Brid I think a very young Jeff Bridges is in it. And I don't remember the actress's name in it. She ended up getting really famous. It was her first movie. She was the, you know, the Fay Ray sort of character in that one. But it's very 70s, very weird, and a little gross. It doesn't compare to the original, but most of the Kong movies that have come since then just don't compare because that first movie is just so dang perfect. It's hard to top. Yeah, for sure. And then 1984, again, keep in mind, these are highlights. There are other kaiju-related things happening throughout all of this. I'm just giving you the highlights. The second series of Godzilla films starts in 1984 with Return of Godzilla, which was released the next year, again, in heavily edited form as God, in the United States as Godzilla 1985. That one, after seeing the Japanese version, I'm not very fond of because they screwed around with it so bad. And that's an entire presentation unto itself. And then we'll skip ahead to 1995, and that second series was called the Heisei series. For Godzilla came to an end with Godzilla vs. Destroya, 
And as my friend Luke Giaconetti of the Earth Destruction Directive podcast is fond of saying, it gives you what it says on the tin. The tagline for this movie spoils it because the tagline for the movie was Godzilla dies. So it's not a spoiler when the tagline tells you. So be prepared. Godzilla dies at the end of it. The same year, we had the you know the pro a movie that shows you how to do a proper gritty reboot Gamera Guardian of the Universe which is the poster that I have on there on the far left it is not just head and shoulders above the old Gamera movies it's like several body lengths above the, re- the those old Gamera movies it's amazing and it was made by people uh, the director was you know, cut his teeth doing dramas. And the screenwriter, this is relevant to all of you, and he, this, it was the same director and screenwriter for the next two movies in that trilogy. The screenwriter wrote anime. I can't remember his name offhand, but he's most famous for writing the original anime ver- film version of Ghost in the Shell. Find those movies and watch them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm doing fine, sir. That's all right. It's all right. They're probably bored out of their skulls. But, <laughs> but so I highly recommend that trilogy. It will feel very anime-esque at points. And just because I have to share a little this story. So yeah, I have to share this story. I met the actress who starred in those movies a few weeks ago at... The, a little convention called Days of the Dead All Monsters Attack. Her name is Ayako Fujitani, lovely woman. And believe it or not, she's Steven Seagal's daughter. Yeah, Steven Seagal's daughter is most famous for hanging out with a giant fire-breathing turtle. And she can out-act her dad any day of the week, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> 1996, we had The Rebirth of Mothra, which was the first of a trilogy. They're kids' movies, and they're not particularly good kids' movies. The third one's not bad, but the middle one, oh, good Lord, the middle one's abysmal. (laughs) 1997, you had Gamera 2 Attack of Legion. 1998, the infamous Sony TriStar Godzilla. I have opinions. (laughs) I was just on a podcast about that one, actually. And then 1999, in response... To that movie, Toho started their third series of Godzilla films, which is called the Millennium Series, with Godzilla 2000. And we also saw the end of that tri- the Gamera trilogy with Gamera 3 Revenge of Virus. That movie's incredible. That thing is top five, probably top three kaiju movies of all time. It's amazing. That trilogy, that Gamma trilogy, is one of the few trilogies that actually gets better as it goes. I'm not kidding. Although that one has a lot of cultural stuff in it, so it's probably the least accessible to the non-Japanese audience, but good Lord, is it great. That's why you should listen to my podcast episodes on it, so that way you'll have a better understanding of what's going on in that movie. And then the Millennium series of Godzilla films comes to an end with Godzilla Final Wars, which is absolutely bonkers, and I love it. 
<laughs> Final Wars is what happens when you give, I think the best description of it I ever read was in an essay where they said, to describe the experience of watching this movie, just imagine a bunch of 10-year-olds hopped up on too much sugar playing video games while rock music is blaring in the background. That is that movie. If you ever need to cheer yourself up after a horrible week, throw that on on a Friday night and you can't help but smile. That's all I have to say about it. And then 2005, we had Peter Jackson's King Kong, which I actually say is a worthy successor to the original. It's got its problems, for sure. But it's a very worthy successor to the original film. I think, well, how much time do I have left? I don't have my phone with me. And I can't see the time on here. It's on Seven minutes, all right. This is taking longer than I expected. I'm sorry. 2008, we had Cloverfield, which... You know, it was very well known to a lot of Americans. Found footage. And then Pacific Rim. You have to talk about Pacific Rim in this. One of my favorite movies. I could talk about Pacific Rim all day. And then 2014, after a 10-year hiatus, Godzilla came back to the big screen in a new American film directed by Gareth Edwards. It was done by Legendary Pictures, and it started the MonsterVerse, arguably the only other successful <laughs> cinematic universe in existence <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, We don't talk about Dark Universe. And then 2016, Toho made another live-action film. They weren't supposed to, but they got started on this technically before they made the contract with Legendary called Shin Godzilla. Do we have any Evangelion fans in the room? A couple of you? Directed, Shin Godzilla, directed by Hideaki Anno, creator of, of Neon Genesis Evangelion. It is very Ava, let me tell you. I highly recommend watching it. It actually had a short, limited theatrical run in the United States in 2016, and I was able to see it. Because it played in Fort Wayne, Indiana, baby. <laughs> so I and it, it was released on Blu-ray by Funimation, which should you know, tell you that they're definitely trying to appeal it to the anime crowd. And speaking of anime, Netflix had a trilogy of CGI anime movies for Godzilla that it just—it's probably the most divisive thing in the ever released. Well, I would say everything that's been released since 2004 has been very divisive, just varying levels of divisive. But that anime trilogy is very divisive. I actually like them, and I have reasons. But yeah, it's—it's it's not for everyone. That's for sure. Uh, we'll talk after the sh we'll talk after the panel. But and then we had Godzilla: King of the Monsters 2019, which was pretty big deal. King Ghidorah, Mothra, and Rodan all show up, so they're in the MonsterVerse now. And then we had the rematch of the century. Godzilla versus Kong. Now, King Kong versus Godzilla. Now, it's Godzilla versus Kong. And I, I saw that one several times in the movie theater. I have a lot of fun with it. Again, it was a little bit divisive, depending on who you talk to. I haven't seen this one yet, but if any of you want to make a day trip to Chicago... It is going to play at a Chicago film festival. 
Shin Ultraman, which has a lot of the people who worked on Shin Godzilla working on it. I hear a lot of good stuff about it. Well, like I said, I haven't seen it yet. But I'm hoping to make that day trip over to Chicago to see it. Hold on, sir, because now we'll take questions and comments, but we only have about five minutes left. Yes, sir. No, it's directed by Shinji Higuchi, who did, who was the co-director on Shin Godzilla and did the special effects in the Gamera trilogy from the 90s. I met him at G-Fest, actually, about five years ago. He's a very cool dude. But Anno wrote the script. Any more questions and comments? No one really knows at this point. It seems like the MonsterVerse is going to keep going on television, and they just started filming a new movie, and it sounds like it's going to have Godzilla and Kong in it. I, so no one really knows for sure because we're not, not a lot of information has been released. Ideally for me, I would love to see the MonsterVerse continue and Toho make their own stuff. Just let us have an abundance of riches at this point. Yeah. I saw that was there another hand up. No one knows for sure at this point. Nothing has been said. All we really know is that apparently Godzilla and Kong are going to be in the next movie. That's all we really know for sure in terms of which monsters are appearing. Yeah. Any more? Like I said, I st we've only got a few minutes left for the next panel. Although, I guess we could just keep going until the next panelist shows up and tries to kick us out. I mean, does anyone see... You see anybody hanging out outside wanting in? <laughs> Is anyone here doing the next panel? Is, are the next panelists actually in the room? A one? Really? I thought I had until 1230. Oh, crap. Well, anyway, I can field more questions. We got plenty of time. <laughs> I was trying to rush through this a little bit, but yeah. I know some people came in a little bit late. You know, if you want me to go back to show you some of the old slides or, you know, if you have questions about kaiju in general or about the stuff that we've talked about, I will field them. I do, I do academic style research on all of this crap, dude, guys. Trust me. <laughs> No, it's just differences in terminology. That's all it really is. Because some, some film universes just use different names for them. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, like Pacific Rim actually just calls them kaiju. But they also call the Mecha Jaeger. So they just come up with just very universe-specific names for them. And in the MonsterVerse, they call them Titans, which seems very appropriate, I think, if you know the mythological roots of that. And I'm trying to think of, or like uh, Godzilla the series, which was a 90s cartoonist, the superior sequel to the 1998 movie. They just called them mutants or mutations. You know, it's just, it, it's just different terminologies for basically the same thing. I should have put singular point on here, shouldn't I? I mean, this is an anime con. 
So I should have brought up Singular Point. Has anyone seen Singular Point? Godzilla Singular Point? The science was was a bit much. The science was insane. It is the most it is one of the most jargony things I've ever seen. You're talking to somebody who grew up on Star Trek. I'm used to jargon, but that was just like I mean, I thought Evangelion had a bunch of jargony dialogue. This thing was it was or Ghost in the Shell. This one was like the next level on that. Yeah, I mean, I could follow it, but I did watch it dubbed because I'm like, I don't know if I want to deal with subtitles <laughs> with this. Plus, I also may have made the mistake of binging all 13 episodes in one day because I knew I was going to podcast about it. So I'm not usually a binger for those reasons. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's arguably better than the. It's arguably better than the trilogy of CGI movies, but it's still not entirely what people were necessarily wanting. But it's a really interesting show. If you guys ever want a a nice solid thirteen episode anime, if you have a Netflix account, which if you don't, I don't blame you. <laughs> if you want a good thirteen episode show to watch, give that one a try. But be prepared for a lot of sciency jargon. <laughs> and there's not been any announcements as to whether or not there's going to be a second season for that one. Yeah, but you'd be surprised how often that's happened. Right, right. Yeah, actually, I talked about that pretty early on in the in this uh, the kaiju genre. It's typically associated with film and, to a certain extent, television, because we have stuff like Ultraman and things like that. Because Ultraman is a superhero who fights kaiju, but I make the argument that it's. It's a genre that can exist in any other medium. There are kaiju video games. There are kaiju novels. I've written some. I have copies if anyone wants to see them after the presentation. So, you know, it can exist in anything. It's just commonly associated with film because that's where its origins primarily lie. But we talked about at the beginning, you know, some of the, the cultural origins very briefly because there's a lot you could go into about kaiju. Mason. I don't know if that necessarily robs it. Admittedly, I haven't played Monster Hunter very much. I did watch the movie. I was asked to be on a podcast about it, so I'm like, fine, I guess I got to go watch it. And it's one of the emptiest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I don't think it takes away from it. You can have stories that are centered around 
killing the kai just what most kaiju movies are they're centered around killing ultraman like i said that's a that's one where we where it combines superhero and kaiju because the villains are kaiju ultraman is basically a dragon slayer so i think it actually goes back to more to that and dragons are very kaiju adjacent i would say so if you have a story where the kaiju are the antagonists they are the proverbial dragons who must be slain i say it still counts I mean, I did at one point try to write a kaijuified version of it back when I was in high school. It's not, it wouldn't be hard, but you could say that about a lot of, you can say that about a lot of classic myths. If you, because like Greek mythology is full of monsters or, or, uh, or the Titans, you know, who, who ruled the universe before the gods, uh, like Typhon, you know, the. Right. Part, yeah, I would. Uh, intelligence is part of it, but not all kaiju necessarily have personality. That's more uh, personality is something that's more commonly seen in Japanese media, the, uh, not necessarily in American media. Like you look at a lot of. 1950s B movies after you know Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, which I wouldn't say it's that's not a B movie, but the the Redosaurus in that is much more animalistic compared to say Godzilla. Yeah, but again, just because a kaiju is animalistic doesn't mean it's not a kaiju. So it's just more just the difference in presentation and culture, I would say. And but although sometimes you can go a little bit far with it, you can so anthropomorphize your kaiju it does border on ridiculous. There are Godzilla movies like that, right? Right, but it's something to keep in mind is that monsters are always a response to something. It doesn't matter if they're small monsters or big monsters. There's always a response to something. And Godzilla is definitely that. You know, just to you know, give a quick primer, Godzilla was inspired very heavily by World War II and the, you know, the fire bombings by the Allies and especially the atomic bombings. Hence why... Godzilla is awakened by nuclear testing. And a more immediate inspiration, besides the films we talked about, was the Lucky Dragon Number 5, which was a fishing boat that got way too close to the Bikini Atoll where there was a nuclear test. And they ended up catching irradiated fish, which caused a bit of a panic, and several of the crew members got radiation sickness. One of them died. Yes, Mason. He's a kaijin for sure. Although I think the more appropriate term for SpongeBob would be unholy abomination. <laughs> My apologies to the, any SpongeBob fans. <laughs>
Ja. Ja. Right, yeah. The Godzilla's symbolism, I guess you could say, has evolved with the times. It's actually kind of interesting to think about how he started off as the bomb made flesh, basically, this very clear atomic allegory. And because Japan, and it's this is one of the things that makes Godzilla unique because the Japanese are the only culture that has had nuclear weapons used on it. So there's a very distinct Japanese flavor to that. And the Japanese are still, they have no nuclear arsenal. They don't want to ever have a nuclear arsenal. And they have, for a while, they were very big proponents of nuclear energy. But after the Fukushima disaster, they've become much warier of it. It's because Japan is a country of catch-22s. But again, that's a whole presentation unto itself. But... As time has gone on, Godzilla has evolved to represent different things. The most ironic thing is that 10 years after his creation, he became Japan's hero. Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster is noteworthy because that's when Godzilla became the good guy. That was his face turn, to use the pro wrestling terminology. And for the rest of those movies, in the, the show era, up until 1975, he was the hero. In fact, by the time you get to the 70s, he's basically a superhero even had a robot sidekick in one movie. Jet Jaguar, look it up. Jet Jaguar is amazing. He's powered by plot convenience, but he's amazing. <laughs> you know, it, it, which is kind of funny that now this irradiated atomic-powered mutation is now Japan's hero. But then he's also represented things like he's a force of nature. Japan is a very disaster-prone country. Kaiju, in many ways, represent living natural disasters. They come in and they wreck a city and then they move on. Japan is subject to a lot of earthquakes, flooding, typhoons. You know, that influence went into the creation of a lot of kaiju as well. So he, he's represented that. He's also in one movie, This is Wild. Probably the most supernatural God, the most obviously supernatural Godzilla. In one movie, he was the avenging avatar of everyone who died in World War II. Because they were upset that the new generation in Japan had forgotten about them. So Godzilla was exacting punishment upon Japan for doing so. It's wild. Directed by uh, by uh, Shusuke Kaneko, who directed the Gamera trilogy that I talked about. He got to direct Godzilla once, and that was his movie. It's nuts. It also has a ridiculously long name. But <laughs> you want to know? We've got time. I could talk about the ridiculously long name. It is, it's meant to be a retro title, a highly descriptive retro Japanese title. For some odd reason, they translated it literally and just made it the, the official English title. Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah, giant monsters all out attack. Or just GMK for sure, because that's what we call it in the Godzilla family. It's just GMK, because we're not saying that whole thing. <laughs> it's, it's a really interesting film. Really interesting film. Especially if you understand a lot of what's going on culturally within it. I wish. <laughs> I want to go to Japan someday. Although on my podcast, because there's a little bit of 
kayfabe, which is a wrestling term where you don't break character. Yeah. Oh, I'm. Sh- oh, yeah. Yes, they are. It's merchandise like crazy. But I, as I was saying, oh, my podcast it takes place on Ogasawara. So, in my podcast, I'm I'm in Japan. So, but I do want to visit for real at some point in my life. Any more questions? <sighs> that is a very difficult question to answer because I have to ask follow up questions like. Are you the type of guy who likes to start at the beginning? If not, what kind of things do you like? You know, I have to ask those kinds of questions because there are several starting points for you. So I'm just not sure which one to give you. In terms of where to start, 54 for sure. That is required if you, that's required viewing. You might even call it homework. Whether you like it or not, you should watch that original film for sure. After that, I mean, I can give you, you know, like what I think are the highlights to definitely watch, like Mothra versus Godzilla from 1964. You should watch that. King Kong versus Godzilla of 1962, especially the Japanese version, because it's, the highest grossing Godzilla film to this day. The most popular. That thing made money hand over fist. Uh, after that, uh, there's a couple of them from the 80s and 90s I would recommend. A couple from the 2000s that I would recommend. But again, it depends on what you're looking for. Godzilla has had such a wide range of stuff. He's one of the most versatile fictional characters ever made. It's like Batman in that regard because we've had Batman in multiple kinds of stories, multiple kinds of tones. He's very versatile. So, you know, I can give you what I think are the best representations, you know, like the high points for the Godzilla series. And then after that, I would say it's up to you if you want to try out any more. So, you know, those would be several of my recommendations. I can give you some more after we're done here. But again, it goes back to what do you want? Do you you know do you want traditional Godzilla? I got recommendations. Do you want good guy Godzilla? Oh boy, I got some for you. You know, do you want crazy wild Godzilla? Oh, I watched the seventies movies; they're insane. <laughs> one of them you might have to be inebriated while you watch it because <laughs> it's one of the trippiest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Any other questions? We went over a lot. Yes, sir. What's your name? Aiden. Aiden. All right. What's what's your question, Aiden? Why are you, would you ask me that? Because there is no good answer. (laughs) There's too many to pick from. I'm a big fan of Godzilla, obviously. I I also have a tremendous appreciation for King Kong because of just what King Kong means. And that, like I said, that original King Kong film is about as close to perfect as you can get. (laughs) So, I don't, that is just, if you just like movies, you need to watch the original King Kong. Good Lord. Because it changed how movies are made and is still influential nearly 100 years later. So, uh, besides the, those two, I'm a big fan of Heisei Gamera. Not the old Gamera. I like Heisei Gamera. And uh, in terms of other 
Godzilla-related kaiju. I like Angerus. Is anyone, if you know, you know who Angerus is? Angerus? He's an ankylosaurus with a big spiky back. And I love him because his attitude is, you know what? I can't breathe fire, shoot missiles, or do anything crazy like that. I got my teeth, and I got my claws, and I got my big spiky back. I'm still going to kill you, you bastard. <laughs> I love his attitude. <laughs> he will run right up to King Ghidorah and just not care. <laughs> He does. He does. He has a couple of them. But, you know, because he tends to just charge in and against, against foes that he's technically outmatched against. Eh, it's not the best record. Uh, well, Gamera traditionally loses the first round and then comes back and wins the second round. So his, re his win record is probably, you know, straight 50-50. So... <laughs> Yeah, probably, but you know, there's there's arguments to be made the Gamera can pull out the W. So Yeah. But that's true. True. Godzilla versus Megalon. <laughs> Oh my god. Yes. Godzilla versus Megalon is well known for a lot of infamous things. Probably at the top of the list is Godzilla's f tail sliding drop kick, which he does not once but twice. It is I it, actually I think it is. It is peak cinema. It is peak cinema. Although it is still not the most insane thing that Godzilla's ever done. He can fly. Godzilla versus Hedera. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. We find out he can use his atomic breath like a jet. Also peak cinema. <laughs> Guess what, people? All of these movies, those both of those movies are in the Criterion Collection. Let that sink in. <laughs> Two movies that have been on at Mystery Science Theater. The only two are in the Criterion Collection. And the insane thing is, Toho will not let those episodes be released. Because Toho is run by a bunch of overprotective crazy people. <laughs> They took MST3K to task because they dared put their Megalon episode on, D on DVD. To task. More questions? <laughs> Get out! <laughs> <laughs> It's not what the shippers say it is. <laughs> I am not a fan of that particular shipping. It gets 
to some very weird places in the right corners of the internet. So, no, I don't ship them. I like the symbiotic relationship, but I don't ship them. Any others? I don't know. What time is it now? <laughs> We're almost at one. Okay. Okay. Well, unless there are some very pressing questions, I will wrap things up here. Are there any other questions? One more. What do you got? You've either listened to my friends on Kaiju Weekly or you've been in the right corners of the of the internet. My official answer is no. <laughs> We're not opening this can of worms, sir. <laughs> We're not opening that can of worms, but it's a fun question to end on, but just really quick uh, as I mentioned, I'm, uh, I'm an author and a podcaster, and I'm also a voice actor. I'm on a, I do some voice acting on one of these because I have drama segments, and I, it's, I don't have the logo for it on here, but I'm also a cast member on Power Rangers The Audio Drama. I play one of the bad guys in the new season. So Monster Island Film Vault, that is primarily focused on kaiju. We do get into some stuff with tokusatsu. That just celebrated its third anniversary last week. And um, it's very academic, but it's very accessible. Uh, you know, the tagline is a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through Tokusatsu. And I take that very seriously. So don't expect a lot of very dry lectures like you're in the most boring college class ever. No, it's much more exciting than that. And I. When you listen to that, it is technically a fictionalized version of myself because it actually takes place on Monster Island. I started that as a bit of a gimmick, and now it's got full-fledged audio drama segments. Happened very organically because I have crazy friends who come on the show and make up wild stories. <laughs> and then Henshin Men, which is dedicated to Henshin heroes, so stuff like Kamen Rider, Super Sentai, Ultraman. It's been mostly focused on the original Kamen Rider. It's a television podcast primarily. We go through a show a couple episodes at a time, and we're wrapping up the original Kamen Rider pretty soon. And then The Power Trip, A Journey Through the Power Rangers franchise. If you like Power Rangers, specifically Power Rangers, not Super Sentai, specifically Power Rangers, that's the show for you. My, uh, my co-host is Michael Hamilton. And we go through the Power Rangers franchise a season at a time. So we talk about it a season at a time. Be warned, Henshinman is a sprint. Power Trip is a marathon. You're looking at minimum two and a half hours per episode. And we've gotten as long as four. <laughs> so be prepared for that. <laughs> but we, like I said, we talk about whole seasons. A whole season, yes. So we have to cover a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, so like my, we have three episodes just on Mighty Morphin because that was three seasons. Huh? The next episode that will be coming out hasn't been published yet. I've been ragging on Michael to get it published, but it'll be Megaforce. But we, but the, the, the Neo Saban seasons... You know, it has, you know, like Megaforce, Super Megaforce, stupidest name ever. But the the Super seasons, we talk about them together. So that saved us a little bit of time because we're like, we don't want to spend two episodes on freaking Samurai or Megaforce. God. 
my gosh. So, you know, that's the podcast that I do. And so, but I, I also mentioned I'm an author. So if you want to learn more about me as an author, I'm also a contributor and editor for Kaiju Ramen Magazine. So if you're into this sort of stuff, Kaiju Ramen is the place to go. And in case you were wondering, that is my bibliography because you can't take the grad student out of me. I do this in every episode. I include a bibliography of all my sources so you can fact check me or do more research because I obviously can't go over everything that I read in my sources. So in case you're wondering where I got this information, this is where you can find it. And thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to The Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you want to join the discussion and be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault and on Twitter, where our handle is at TheMonsterIsla1. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and TikTok. Follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and our many other colorful characters using the links in the show notes. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Serax, Juan Madrono, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and the opened way battle with the colossus by koatani from the video game shadow of the colossus all film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied please rate and review us on apple podcast spotify and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show you can also support us by joining mifv max on patreon the monster island film vault is a moonlighting ninjas media production sayonara Thank you.